Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Well, if it's your first time to City Bridge, my name is David. I get to serve on staff here as the teaching pastor. We are in the middle of a series called In Living Color. Now, the phrase In Living Color, if you are, you know, a child of the 80s or 90s may trigger the old TV show with the Waynes Brothers and Jim Carrey. Anybody remember this show? (laughs) Didn't last very long, but it was actually a phrase that was coined in the 60s when television transition from black and white to in living color. And all the shows, Andy Griffith, and all the things that people would watch, and movies eventually transition from black and white to seeing them more clearly. Oh, that's what things looked like in living color. Now this series is not about television, it's about Jesus. And we are hoping as we look through interactions and conversations that Jesus had in the New Testament, we see him more clearly as he is. See him in living color, if you will. And this morning, We're gonna look at a conversation he has. It's actually the longest conversation Jesus had with anybody in the Bible. It's an incredibly powerful story, and it's a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman. So we're gonna be in John chapter four. I'm gonna read through the entire story, and then we're gonna break it down from there. But it's a good amount of text, so if you have a Bible, flip over to John chapter four. We'll start in verse four. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible as a gift. You can get one at the Welcome Center, and either way, it'll be up on the screens. But let me read this text starting at John chapter four, verse four. Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. He's going to Galilee and it said he had to go through Samaria. Let me hit pause just briefly. This would have been unusual because Jesus was Jewish. Jewish men and women did not go through Samaria. It was dangerous to go through Samaria. They were at odds with Samaritans. In fact, Samaritans occupied, you can see a map of the typical Jewish route was the blue, that if they had to go to Galilee or Jerusalem, they would go around Samaria because they had a feud with Samaritans who were half-breed and hated the Jewish people. It was dangerous to go through. And so the typical Jewish person would go around, but Jesus didn't operate like the typical Jewish person. So he's walking through Samaria in verse five. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well. It was about noon, the middle of the day. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone because at the time his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So Jesus sits down, he's at this well, woman comes up, says, can you give me a drink? We're told the disciples had gone into town to go get some food, some pita bread from pita hut or fish from fish filet or whatever they were going to get. Just doing dad Bible jokes up here. And he asked, can you give me a drink? Which would have caught the woman by surprise because Samaritans, Jewish people didn't interact. Verse nine, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would have given you living water. Now to us, we read that, 
And it sounds poetic and it sounds beautiful, but I just want you to think about the context of this woman. This woman is trying to, we're gonna discover, avoid any human interaction. That's why you go to the well at the middle of the day. Typically, people would go early in the morning when it's cool or early in the evening. She's going in the blazing heat of the Middle East, which means she wanted to not be around anybody. And she shows up and it's a worst case scenario. It's not just another person there. It's a Jewish person and it's a Jewish man And to us, we hear him saying, you would have asked me for living water and it sounds beautiful. But if you're her and you're a Samaritan woman wanting to avoid people and it's the blazing heat of the day in the Middle East and somebody offers you you water that's alive, it's probably not beautiful, it's just a little bit weird. And then you gotta think, it's what's going through her head. And so she responds like, what are you talking about? And she says, you don't even have a bucket or a rope. And this well is very deep, verse 11. Where can you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, a bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is using water as a metaphor of, I offer something that nothing in this world can offer. I offer lasting satisfaction. Please, sir, the woman says, give me this water so I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get the water. Jesus says, go and get your husband. Jesus told her. She said, I don't have a husband. You're right, Jesus said, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You have certainly spoke the truth. Jesus leans in, and now we begin to discover the likely reason why she's showing up in the middle of the day of wanting to avoid people and interacting with people, and she's coming when no one else would come to the well. She was a five-time divorcee. Now, in our day and age, that's incredibly rare. In biblical times, it's unheard of. Of course, she's carrying shame. I mean, if the Samaritans were outcasts, this woman was an outcast among outcasts. Uncomfortable, she changes the subject. She just was told something by a stranger that, that, how could he possibly have known that? So she says, sir, you must be a prophet. I love it. So tell me this, prophet, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship, and Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, because they have the scriptures, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, It's here, now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit that's on the inside, internally, individually, and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He says it's not about where you worship, but about how and who you worship. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ, When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am 
the Messiah. The very first person that Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah is this woman. Just then the disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask him because they were scaredy cats. What do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well. She ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could it possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming out of the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Jesus, you got to feel for him. It's like, you guys never follow my analogies. <laughs> then he explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Let me pray one more time. Father, I pray that we would see more of you in the next 30 minutes. We're told in 2 Corinthians that it's by seeing Jesus that we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next or made more to look like him. So help us, God. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, prior to joining uh, CityBridge a couple months ago, I worked with young adults for the last 13 years at the porch. And one thing that I loved working with young adults or having as a part of working with young adults is I was always familiar with the latest and ever-evolving glossary of expressions and phrases that young adults use. You guys know what I'm talking about. And so if you are not someone who has a young adult in your home, or maybe you have heard these terms, and you're like, I don't understand. They're speaking a different language than I am. I'm just going to give you a little education on what some of these terms mean. They don't make any sense, but I'll give you some education on these terms. So what do I mean? What's an example? You may hear, hear the expression of, hey, no cap, no cap. What's no cap mean? Doesn't mean you don't have a hat on. It means <laughs> no lie. Why? Nobody knows. <laughs> What's another one? Bet. Bet, you may think bet, that's Vegas, that's where you go at the racetracks. Nope, you would be incorrect. Bet means I agree. Again, nobody knows why. Throw shade, throw shade. What does it mean to throw shade? It's actually one of my favorite ones. Throw shade is to insult someone. Hey, if you're gonna insult somebody, maybe he was throwing shade. It's another one, drip. What's drip? It's not your coffee in the morning, it's your clothes. Man, I like that drip. Living rent free. What does living rent free mean? Hey, I can't stop thinking about it. And then finally, and perhaps most biblical of all, is thirsty. Now, the people laughing are laughing because they know what it means. What does thirsty mean? It means to be relationally desperate. I remember the first time I was introduced to this idea, my brother-in-law, I was suggesting, hey, you should take that girl on a date. You should date her. And he was like, bro, she's thirsty, man. She's thirsty. And I was like, like, like she needs some Gatorade or something? That doesn't feel like a problem. Just get her, get her some water. And he was like, no, man, she's desperate for a relationship. Of all the people in the New Testament who were thirsty, clearly was this woman who jumped from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next. And you guys going to be okay down here? <laughs> we can relate. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. They had clearly, or she had clearly been seeking something that was not satisfying to her. And the reason this is relevant to all of us is Jesus' answer is, hey, you're not going to find it in another marriage or in another man. 
And it's relevant to us all because we may not be relationally thirsty, so to speak, but all of us come into the room and have at least the temptation of seeking to find something to satisfy us that truly only God can. In other words, all of us come in and there's ways that we can be thirsty, not necessarily in relational terms, but it can look like, man, I have a desperate need to have more financial security, so I work and work and work. I am obsessed with what other people think about me, and so I'm consumed about my body image. All those are different flavors of being thirsty. As we're gonna discover, Jesus is gonna say, man, you can seek and try to find a solution for those things, but ultimately, just like water can quench your physical thirst, only he can quench your soul and spiritual thirst. So we're gonna walk for the next handful of minutes through this story again and go a little quicker as we move through just three different aspects. Specifically, hey, why we're not satisfied. Maybe given the answer to why some of us come in, we just don't feel a peace, don't feel satisfied, still feel an emptiness. And then the solution to satisfaction, because as we're gonna discover, Jesus says, it's actually a very simple equation. If you wanna experience satisfaction, it's not gonna happen, it doesn't have to happen someday, and if I only had that, then I would be. You can experience it today, it's very simple. It's not easy, but it's a very simple two-sided coin. So first, let's read the text again and go back through, because the story, if, by recap, Jesus shows up, goes to this well, sits down. All of a sudden, a woman shows up, says, man, I'm here to, or Jesus asks her, hey, can I have some water? And she responds with, why are you even talking to me? And he says, what only Jesus could get away with, if you only knew the gift of God who was talking to you, verse 13, then you would ask me for living water. And then he gets to his punchline in verse 13, anyone who drinks this water again will become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He's saying that just like water can never fully satisfy your thirst, nothing in this world can satisfy your spiritual thirst. There's a part of you that no amount of pleasure, success, status, or accomplishment can fill. So first, how do we see of why we're not satisfied is we are looking in all the wrong places or looking to things in this life, perhaps that were never created to fill a hole that only God and only Jesus can. I mean, I see this especially in no matter what stage of life, we can fall into this ditch of looking towards what I would call the someday mentality. I see it among single adults when they're like, man, I just can't wait till someday, someday I'm gonna finally arrive, I'm gonna get married, the hills will be alive with the sound of music, and life will be well. And then you get married, and you're like, man, I just can't wait till we have kids, can't wait till we have kids. Then you have kids, you're like, I can't wait till we get them out of the diaper phase, I can't wait to be done with diapers, I can't wait. And then you're like, out of the diaper phase, you're like, man, I can't wait until they can drive a car, I can't wait till they can drive a car, and on and on it goes. I mean, I, I can easily fall into this mentality of like, man, I just can't wait until the, the someday mentality, the someday of like, man, someday, you know, kids, they're not going to be hard to parent. Life is going to be great. They're going to be so polite. And yes, sir. And man, I just would like to go read my Bible, dad. And life's going to be great. And my wife and I, we're going to have perfect date night rhythms. I mean, someday we're not going to miss a date night. In fact, we're going to have so much disposable time that we're, we're going to be in the best shape of our life. Life is going to be amazing. Work won't be stressful. <laughs> stress, no stress. Not too much, not too little. Our someday home, man, it's amazing. HVAC, it doesn't break down in my Sunday home. The lawn, it grows so slowly. And any time I'm spending in the lawn mowing, it's just, it's therapeutic, really. Someday. The truth is, even if you had all of those things, right, all of those wouldn't satisfy 
But Jesus says he alone can satisfy. There's a hole in every human heart that he's saying, man, I offer the solution to that satisfaction like nothing else can. This is salt water. Salt water makes up 70% of our planet. In that 70%, only 1% of water on the planet is fresh water. Now, imagine with me, later today, you were doing some yard work, or you went on a run, and you just were thirsty, and you came back in, physically thirsty, and I offered you this, or I asked you the question, would you like some? And by the way, how much would you need to quench your thirst? If you know anything about salt and water, you would know there is no amount of salt water that could quench your thirst. It's, it's incapable of doing so. In fact, it only leaves you thirstier. Jesus is giving the answer why we look around a world and people who have everything that any one of us would want. They've got accomplishment, success, fame, influence, and yet are empty. I mean, there's so many examples that you could look across the board of people who've climbed the success of corporate ladder or just fame and industry, and yet they will let out from time to time, and it doesn't satisfy. Jesus would say, because it can't. Any more than salt water could actually quench a thirst. One example that I came across a few years ago was a conversation Brad Pitt. I mean, Brad Pitt, unbelievably accomplished actor, sexiest man alive, according to Time Magazine. He's got the resume and life that so many people would want, and he let out in this conversation, it doesn't satisfy anything. He was having a combo with Rolling Stone, and Brad said this, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us, the car, the condo, our version of success, but if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say we toss all of this. We've got to find something else. Because at this point in time, we're headed towards a dead end, a numbing of the soul, complete atrophy of the spiritual being. And I don't want that. Rolling Stone responded, if we're headed towards this kind of dead end society, what do you think should happen? Brad said, I don't have those answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it and I'm telling you, that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything I know. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, you're just left with yourself. I've said it before, I'll say it again, it doesn't help you sleep any better. And you don't wake up any better because of it. What is Brad saying? He's saying, I've been drinking at the well of success, fame, money, and I'm still thirsty. No matter what well you and I go to, if it's not the well of Jesus, will leave us thirsty. The woman is in this conversation that you gotta think becomes uncomfortable when Jesus said, man, you've had five, you've been drinking out the well of relationships and marriage and still are thirsty. And she says, you must be a prophet. And she goes into a theological question, whether to kind of dodge or just change the subject or for whatever reason. And Jesus responds as it relates to worship. And he says something that's related to the answer of where you and I can find satisfaction. He said in verse 21, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when you will no longer, it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit on the inside 
and according to what is true. God is looking for those who will worship him that way on the inside, individually, internally, ongoing relationship with God. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying, hey, it's not about where you worship in a mountain, it'll be how you live and live in relationship with God. The first solution to finding satisfaction comes from knowing God. Increasingly growing in your relationship and my relationship with God. It's very simple, it's not very easy, but it's a very simple equation. And satisfaction, first and foremost, comes from knowing God, from living and growing continually in a relationship with him. Now, what does that mean and what does that look like? Well, if I was to ask you how any relationship grows or how any relationship can measure, hey, is it healthy? Is it a good relationship? There's certain components that just like a relationship with God, a relationship with anyone would require. Those would be time, communication, prioritization, There could be a long list of other things, but you at least can measure the health and strength of a relationship based on those things. In other words, my relationship with my wife requires communication, time, prioritization. Without those, it won't be a growing, strengthening relationship. I mean, if if I was to come to you and you asked me about my wife and um, you said, hey, hey, how often do you guys spend time together? And I was like, honestly, I haven't seen her in like months. And you don't know where she is? No, we, we haven't talked in even longer than that. You'd go, you don't have a relationship. Or with my kids, if I was to say, you know, you asked how many kids? And I was like, I think three. But I haven't seen them in a while, so I don't know. I'm not even sure where they are. You go, you don't have a relationship. Because every relationship and growing relationships require time, communication, prioritization. For us, what does that look like? as it relates to God, that means, hey, I'm gonna spend time communicating. We call that prayer, but it's just talking to God. God, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm facing, this is what I'm fearing. These are the things that I'm walking into today, and I'm gonna be tempted to to find my identity in what people think about me. God, will you help me? Lord, I'm struggling with anxiety over whatever fill-in-the-blank thing. God, I'm so discouraged by the way that they interacted with me, and will you help me to take my eyes off of myself and actually just be a means to love this person, that I'm constantly in ongoing communication. But communication involves speaking, it also involves listening. We call that studying God's word, that I open the Bible and I get to listen to God and have it inform my life. If you wanna experience your purpose, if you wanna experience satisfaction, it's gonna involve growing in your relationship with God. And if you wanna grow in your relationship with God, it's going to involve intentionally taking time to study God's word and to listen and spend time with him in prayer. And in doing so, you'll experience a satisfaction at the soul level. You were created for that. You were created, and I was created to be connected to your creator. This is a leather glove. It's actually O.J. Simpson's glove. And uh, I'm totally kidding, it's too soon. This glove, has a lot of things that it could accomplish. You could, you know, it's got a hoop, I could throw it on the end of a chain and wear it as a necklace. I could use it as a koozie for a water bottle. I could, uh, you know, try to put it on a foot uh, or my kid's feet. There's a lot of things I could potentially do with it. None of those are the purpose it was created for. Now, how do I know? Well, I can tell because of what image it was created in. 
glove was created in the image of a hand. In other words, apart from it being connected and filled with the thing whose image it was made in, it's not fulfilling its purpose. It's not, and it's going to continue to be empty. You were made in the image of God. You were created to be connected to him, to have a relationship on the inside, the spirit and in truth internally, where the spirit of God lives and fills you. And you continually walk in relationship with him. Jesus is looking at this woman saying, the type of worship that God is looking for, it's not done on a mountain. It's not done through ritual. It's done through relationship with God. And in doing so, it gives the first answer to how you and I can experience satisfaction. So the story goes on, and the woman ends up hearing Jesus say he's the Messiah, and the disciples walk up. They return from food, and they say, Jesus, you're eating. He's not eating. And he says, verse 32, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone, the disciples asked each other, of like, what, what is he talking about? And Jesus said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus wasn't making up that he wasn't physically hungry. He was saying, just like that bread satisfies your stomach. So doing the work of God, ministering to people like this Samaritan woman fills and satisfies the soul. It fills an emptiness just like that bread fills a hunger inside of you. So doing the work of God fills a hunger inside of me. It's a very similar analogy to the water and it gives us a second part of the coin of satisfaction, that satisfaction comes from making God known. That's what Jesus said. Hey, when I begin to live for God and I make him known and I serve other people and I live for Jesus' kingdom, I feel satisfied. It almost goes without saying. I mean, we've all experienced and it's not hard to see that the more that I live for me, the more that I focus on me, the more that I obsess about me, the more I concern about me, the more I think about me, the emptier I feel. And yet the more that I live for Jesus, that I focus on, man, I'm here to be a light and God's called me to share my faith and God's called me to serve and God called me to steward the resources. The more that I do that, it's like something comes alive on the inside because I was created to and so were you. And let me just be honest, even as a pastor, God saying, hey, you're, to share your faith and you're to serve doesn't come in neutral, easy to me. In fact, here's a confession. I don't always like sharing my faith. It's uncomfortable. I'm sitting on the plane next to somebody or I'm talking to the waitress and I'm having to ask God, God, will you help me? God, will you give me an opportunity? Will you help me figure out how I can share my faith with this person? Will you open a door and let this spiritual conversation? And then I got to just ask him, God, will you make me courageous? Give me boldness right now, God. Help me to see this person like you see them so that I can live for him. But every time I do, it's like something comes alive. I was created not to talk about me, but to talk about him. I was created not to live for me, but to live for him. And this happens through sharing our faith. It also happens doing the work of God through serving week in and week out like so many of you do. I, I, there are few church bodies, and I've got a chance to be around a lot of them, that serve like this body does. And you, are experiencing living for God's kingdom and a satisfaction 
that comes anytime that we do that. But those of us who are not, man, this is God's invitation to get off of the sideline. There's a need and a harvest of lost people all around us in this county, in this city. People that God wants to use, you and me, our time, talents, treasures to reach. And in doing so, when we begin to participate with him along that way, we experience what Jesus just said, man, I, it's like I have a nourishment that comes from doing so, because you and I were created to do that. Satisfaction comes from knowing God and from making him known. Now, maybe you have trusted in Christ, and if you were honest, which is never easy in church, but you were willing to admit it to yourself, you would go, man, I feel like I trusted in Jesus. I still feel thirsty. I still feel empty. And I'm a believer, but I, I just feel like, man, I know God, and I've tried to make him known or try to serve, but... I don't feel like it's working. A few years ago, I had some back pain and I tried to do everything to fix it. It was like pain that just kind of came out of nowhere. I think like from picking up kids, it wasn't even a good story. And I had somebody recommend to me, hey, you should go to a chiropractor. And I was like, dude, I, I'm, not, I'm not, no offense to anybody in here, chiropractor. I'm like, man, that is just not my thing. I believe in doctors, okay? And uh, <laughs> totally kidding. I do actually believe in doctors, but let's not get distracted. And so this guy with a certificate that's playing with your spine, that just feels like, of all the things they can mess with, feels like an important one. And yet I got to the place where I was like, man, I gotta go just see somebody. Go in, see the chiropractor. And I walked out that day a healed man. It was unbelievable. It was like switch, 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 man, a line. And I was like, oh my God goodness, this is amazing. You are, you're a way maker, miracle worker, promise. And I go to the front and I'm checking out and he's like, hey, you know, this is going to get unaligned again. You could get a, a, a membership and you can come back as often as you want. At this point, I'm like, sir, I will follow where you go. I'll go. <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing worship lyric songs up here. Anyways. And I, I say, hey, I um, would love to like, yes, I'm going to go fast forward six months. And I ended up going and canceling the membership. And it was because I never went back. Now in that season, or as I'm going on my way to cancel that, imagine if you were coming up to me and you said, oh, you're going to cancel the chiropractor. I thought it was so great. And why would you end up canceling it? And I said, oh, I just don't think they work. And you go, really? How many times have you been going? If I said, well, I haven't been back since, you wouldn't conclude oh, you're right, they don't work. You would conclude, you're wrong. You have not been taking advantage of what you have access to. That's why you think they don't work. And as lovingly as I can say, maybe at some level, if you were honest, you would say, man, maybe it's not that knowing God and growing my relationship with him and spending my focus and my life and my mindset on making him known, which is the reason I'm here, maybe it's not the problem that those things don't work. It's that you have not been taking advantage of what you have access to in doing those things. Because when we do, even in just daily moments, we experience a satisfaction that nothing in this world can provide. It comes from knowing God and making him known. Let me close here. The story starts in a very interesting way, and you may have missed it. The beginning of this interaction, the conversation he has with this woman, verse 4, it says, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. 
want you to think about that sentence for a second. He's Jesus. He's God. He doesn't have to do anything. What is it saying? It's saying that Jesus woke up that morning and knew there's a woman who around noon today will be going to a well and it's a woman that I've had on my mind and I wanna have a relationship with. The most dysfunctional, relational person in the New Testament. Jesus has top of mind, I want a relationship with her. I mean, a woman outcast among outcasts and Jesus pursues this woman. This is who Jesus in living color is. I mean, think about this woman. She'd have five husbands. She's sleeping with sixth man. Still empty until she met the seventh man. It's the biblical number for completion. She would be satisfied. And Jesus goes out of his way. I want a relationship with her. There's something else that's very interesting inside of the story and closing here. You remember her testimony? It's a crazy testimony. It's an unusual testimony, to be honest. What did she go tell the people? She went back to the town and said, come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Her fear of even seeing anyone at the well is overcome by her running back to the town, seeing everybody and say, hey, come see a man. Come see a man who knew everything about me. He told me everything I ever did. That's an unusual testimony. What is she saying? He knew everything about me and he still pursued me. I mean, because he's God. Think about what he knew. He didn't just know you're a five-time divorcee. He knew why. He knew every moment of her life. He knew it was a little girl, the dreams she had growing up. He knew the relationship she got into, the first marriage, and how he walked out, or whatever the dynamics that happened, he knew all of it. He knew what, and he also knew why. And maybe the reminder for someone in this room today is the thing that you're afraid of, the thing that you carry insecurity about, the thing that you're ashamed of, the anxiety that you feel. When you interact with Jesus, you encounter Jesus in living color as he really is. He knows all of that. He doesn't just know all of it, he knows why. He knows about the abuse that took place when you were young and it wasn't your responsibility, but now it's become something that's really impacted your life. He knows the anxiety that you carry over your kids and you may not even understand why exactly you carry it the way that you do, but he knows all of that and it doesn't push him away, it pushes him towards broken people. Like this woman. Like me, like all of us who've trusted in Jesus. And if this morning you have never had a moment where you have accepted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I just wanna explain, the God who's there in living color, if you meet him, is not a God who expects you to, hey, just do good things and clean yourself up and then I can have a relationship. He's a God who says, I'm going out of my way to pursue broken people. So much that I would give my life on a cross to die in their place and I will defeat death and I will rise again and anyone who accepts me as their savior, not themselves and not their actions and not how hard they work, but me as their savior has eternal life. And the reason you're in the room right now is because God had a divine encounter in mind with you. And he knows everything a part of your story. He also knows all the why. It doesn't repel him, it moves him ultimately to die in your place, in my place, 
so he can have a relationship with you. Satisfaction comes from knowing God and making him known. And at some level, we learn from the woman, it also comes from, man, I'm fully known. And I'm loved and pursued. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.